From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, Amber Philpott. Hello, podcast listeners. I hope this episode finds you doing well. When I was a child, I, like a lot of children, enjoyed public education television. Here in Kentucky, we're blessed to have KET, Kentucky Educational Television. I have a confession. While I always wanted to work in television news, there was another profession I longed for. I wanted to be the news quiz lady on KET. I still want to be the news quiz lady. We watched her in school and I adored her. It helped foster a love of current events for me that continues to this day. KET is a gem. It's Kentucky's largest classroom serving more than a million people weekly. There is learning, but there's also an encouragement of imagination. KET also serves the state in a variety of other ways through local programming. My guest this week on Uniquely Kentucky is one of KET's longtime serving host, Renee Shaw. She is a Tennessee native, but has made Kentucky her home. She began as a public policy reporter at KET in 1997 and has worked her way up to hosting her own programs, covering the General Assembly and anchoring the state's election night coverage. She's a fellow journalist and a trusted face in Kentucky. Uniquely Kentucky with Amber Philpot is brought to you by the WKYT News and Weather apps, available on the App Store and Google Play. Renee Shaw, welcome to Uniquely Kentucky. How are you? As we record this, we are in the middle of, I'm going to call it Ice Mageddon because that's what we're in the middle of. I think that's an appropriate title, Amber. It's a pleasure to be with you even on this wintry day. At least we're both safe and sound in our home. So I hope everything is going well on your end. So far, so good. Renee, I like to say you and I, we've met a couple of times. Uh Um, I admire you from afar just from your work. And I think you're one of the hardest uh, working women in our business because there's there's a lot that you do over at KET. And you, you know, I... um, I do a lot in the news world that I'm in, but you cover the politics and and the legislative side, and I know how much brain work that takes. So I really do. I mean that. You're the hardest working woman I know in this business. Oh, well, thank you, Amber. And that's high praise coming from you because I think the world of you and the work you do to inform Kentuckians and you all have a statewide reach now as well. And I'm grateful that we're all kind of in this industry together. And at a time when people really need reliable information, I think that they can uh, listen to the two chicks who are talking now and count on us to do our very best. Renee, this last year has been like any other. I've been doing this eight years. You have been in the business a long time as well. What has this last year been like in terms of just the production value of of how we produce what we do in our world? Well, and you know this better than anyone. And and since you're doing stuff on a daily basis, our legislative coverage, you know, this is right when, I mean, it was March 6th and we were kind of at the apex of, of of a 60 day session and it made it very challenging. And we also knew too that because the Capitol was going to be closed and the annex that we needed to provide additional services for people to be able to connect for transparency's sake, to be able to submit testimony, to actually see what's going on. I mean, we always say that sunshine is the best disinfectant. And so I think from us, it was a lot of technical uh, capacity we had to on-ramp uh, that we didn't have. You know, we had never, Amber, used Skype before and had actually said, no way, that's what people do when they just want to talk to their family members or whatever. And now it's become a major part. It's integrated as a major platform for us now. And in fact, you know, we had to cancel a show uh, Monday night, the, the time that we were recording this because of the weather. But the backup plan was to do 
all Skype, right? And so, and we had never envisioned that we would use that for broadcast quality. So I think the use, and I think that's great now that we've actually become more comfortable with it. We don't believe it's, I mean, it gets hitchy. You know that, that you have the occasional freezes, but it allows you to talk to somebody in Western Kentucky without having to deploy a whole crew there, particularly in conditions like we're having at the time that we've spoken. So it, in many ways, it's been a blessing in disguise. I hope you're still there. Did I lose you? Nope. We're right okay. here. Okay. That's Perfect. what we're talking about. Sometimes yeah. things happen. We're recording this via Zoom and sometimes that, that happens. That's right. That's right. Uh, and so, um, you know, I think that it's there's good and bad uh, with it. I, I, I think that one thing I miss is being able to do in-person interviews that aren't 12 feet away, right? Um, that we, we haven't been doing as much field production, which I really miss. We're starting to, you know, get more comfortable with that. So it's really changed that. But it's also, I think, and I know you feel this too, probably, Amber, it's kind of created a sense of we really are important. It's a, been a really important reminder of how pivotal media is and bringing communities together, particularly during these times of COVID, of social unrest, of political unrest. If, if we don't do it, who will? And it's a time for legitimate journalists to stake our claim and say, you know, you might get these rogue sources of information that you question the validity of and the credibility of and the transparency of, and even if it's kind of bent with some kind of ideology, but there are your local news sources mm -hmm. that are committed to serving you because we live next door to you. We're in your communities, in your churches, in your schools, you know, as just human beings. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can communicate that more, and I know that KY2 does an extremely exceptional job with that, um, then I think people will start to have a better sense of trust mm -hmm. about our institution, the fourth estate, which is so vital to upholding democracy. Absolutely. I don't feel like, you know, in my 17, 18 years, I think this last year, was so important because I, I remember March 6th like it was yesterday. And I remember thinking, um, this is huge for a lot of reasons. And I remember thinking, this is huge that you're getting your information from us. And I can honestly say, much like you, when you sit down to plan out whatever it is that you're producing or whatever show that you're doing, you really think about that. In the last year, I realized like that every day has been critical in the dissemination of information. And you have a huge weight on your shoulders to get it correct, to be That's right. And that people trust you when it's coming to you. Um, you you started many many years ago. Um, you launched connections. Mm -hmm. um, it's always been a program to um, sort of shine a light, talk about statewide minority issues. Also, Renee, in the last year, what a year for a lot of people to come to the table and have much needed conversations that should have been happening, should have already yeah. happened. You've been doing that for years, bringing people together. What has the last year been like in terms of, you know, the racial, uh, the call for racial justice and, and having more people at the table to talk? Well, I'm so glad you asked that, Amber, because, you know, for, I guess, since 2005 is when I launched Connections, and I've been at KET 24 years and had a, a short stint in commercial television before that in public radio is really where my grounding came from. And so I've always been used to, like, going in on these types of issues. And so many of us who have kind of dedicated part of our work to not, I don't want to call it social justice because I'm not an activist, I'm a journalist, but you know, we could see these events 
rising. You know, we could see um, just in conversations with people, the temperature of folks when we talked about diversity inclusion, that there were people who felt like they were being left out. And I think what we have been able to learn in these last few years is that, you know, there's always a segment of the population that feels disenfranchised, maybe not literally in the terms that they denied the right to vote, but they feel disconnected from our systems. And I think whether that's through a racial lens, a gender lens, a socioeconomic lens, many of the same issues are the same. They're consistent, there are common threads. And so I feel very blessed to have been doing work that we've talked about. And there've been some pretty strident voices that I've had on my program. I had on an election night, 2019, I'll never forget it. It was our highest viewed election night ever. But we had you know, a particular professor who was very strong in his opinions. But I think if you were to go back and look at that interview, well, it's two or three hours of television, if you were to review that now, you think, wow, I didn't like what he said, but in many ways, what he said was prescient and where we are now, whether or not we wanted to hear it. And I still think, Amber, my next, um, my next venture is that I want to do something called I See You. Because I'm very cognizant that I'm in a, in a black body. I'm in a female body. And, and my world is shaped, you know, people like to say, well, journalists are supposed to be non-biased. Well, that's not true. We all come from a frame of reference, a background experiences, uh, just life toils on tolls on us. And so for me, it's like, I grew up in a rural area that was very homogenous, uh, meaning white, mostly white. And I learned how to navigate that world. Um, and I think, positioned me to be able to be in the spaces that I'm in now, where there are very few people who look like me, but I understand what it's like to feel like a misfit. I understand what it feels like to feel like you don't belong in a space. And so I can, I can relate to someone in a different region of our state who feels isolated, who feels like they're not listened to. So my goal is to say, I see you. You know, that we know as communicators that the purpose of communication isn't necessarily to arrive at a shared goal, but you have to have a shared understanding, right? You have to kind of agree that this is where we are. And Amber, I believe that we don't have a great consensus on where we are. We all say it's bad, but we don't agree on why it's bad and who, not to have to blame and point fingers, but what are the systems that's causing this? Uh, these maladies to still exist, right? And so I think that's where I want to go. I've always focused, and I love public policy. It's my love language. But what I've realized in the last 24 years, or at, at this particular point, is that I've missed the mark, mm -hmm. that I've talked so much about programs and policy that I forgot to make, in many instances, the connection to people like this really affects someone and that, you know, it may be positive for you, but negative for her. And so I think I want to do a better job at really connecting the heart. You cannot legislate the heart. And of all the things that I've learned after 24 years of covering legislative sessions and politics is that sometimes we just got to learn to talk to each other. And so my thing now is I just want to get some people in a room and say, okay, so you don't understand why black athletes with BBN knelt during the national anthem. But I wanna hear this basketball player talk about why that's an important gesture for him. No judgment, right? Judgment-free zone. 
He's not going to judge you. You're not going to judge him. Just listen to each other. And then a moderator in my position really takes a big step back and just throws it out there and then tries to, you know, I feel like sometimes as moderators, you're like, I don't want to be a part of the thing. But in many ways, we do have a responsibility if we all want a better world to say, well, what is my role? And making sure the conversation moves into positive action. And I hope that I have the opportunity to do a little bit more of that because I feel like that I haven't done that enough. And, and everybody has a story and it is so similar, whether you're from Eastern Kentucky or West End of Louisville, you know, we've heard poverty is poverty. And, and I think we need to connect those dots in a more meaningful way than we have. And I'm trying to figure out what that way is. I haven't figured it out yet but I'm working on it. <laughs> Does Renee Shaw want to run for politics? Because I see the slogan, I see you with Renee Shaw running for office. Um, you know, I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Now, I often get asked, you know, do you have political ambitions? And I feel like that my role is in politics. I mean, I'm, I, that I feel like I, I'm not having an influence on the system, but I'm, I am in a way as we all are in the media, important for people to understand what's happening. And, and, and for me, I have a great deal of satisfaction in that. And I, and I believe that, you know, people don't see media as people. You know, they think Amber Philpot, oh my gosh, so unapproachable. And I've thought that, by the way. Oh, right? <laughs> that would make me so mad. Right? Right? But you are the most approachable, kind woman. You know, and I think that we just kind of need to let our guards down. We all hurt. We all have pain. We've all had our own share of tragedies, not just this year, but throughout our lives. I mean, there are great common denominators. Human suffering is can be a great connector if we allow it to be and not look at that as weakness, but as our greatest strength. And so, you know, I, I feel like there's a way that we need to just kind of pull back from that policy lens a little bit to say, you know what, it really is, you're not making policy for the sake of making policy, you're making it to help people. Let's focus on the people. And I think I see you, and the other, other hashtag I'd like to you is, meet me where you are. Oh, I love it. Right, because you know, I hear this from educators and you've done lots of education stories and, and teachers will say, educators will say, well, you know, it's important for me to meet kids where they are, right? Where they are educationally, where they are socially, developmentally, cognitively, meet them where they are. And that extends to a large part of how we interact in the greater social spaces. And so I think, you know, by saying no judgment, I wanna know what you think and how you feel. And I wanna meet you there. And then, then I'll talk and you meet me there and we don't have to agree, but at least we hurt each other. Oh, I, I wish that could happen. And I, and I, and I think that we're starting to get there a little bit, but yeah. I, and it just keeps us pushing for it. Things like you're saying, I, I hope that we're getting there. I hope that we're just finally listening for a moment, just a moment. Yeah. You know, I love to know how people got to where they are. I love to see how people tick. You said, um, you know, policy is your love language. Where does that love of, you know, that public service and politics, where does that come from for you? Because you're, you're not originally from Kentucky, right? But you've made right. Kentucky home for a number of years. So was it something in your childhood or your upbringing that kind of sparked all of this? Sure, I, it's, it, it's a great question. I, I always say that I was born in Tennessee, but I grew up 
in Kentucky. And that is double entendre that, you know, I came to Western Kentucky University. I'm originally from a small rural town called Portland, Tennessee, which is about 30 minutes north of Nashville. I came from a working class family. I got my work ethic from my mom and dad who just said, if you want to, if you want what you want, you've got to do what you need to do to get there. And you've got to work hard and you've got to work twice as hard than, than you think you may have to. And so at a very young age, I was intrigued by television and by television news like at you know age four I would sit there with my little pretend typewriter and I would type away as I would be watching you know Ruth Ann Leach and Brenda Blackman on uh, Ch News Channel 5 this WTVQ I think it not TVQ but TBF affiliate uh, CBS affiliate in Nashville and uh, I, ironically years later I would end up working with Bill Goodman who had worked as a news director at that same television station. So I would pretend as a little girl that I was doing the news. And, and, and you know, back then in the mid to late 70s, I'm 48, there weren't very many African-Americans doing that, particularly women. And so I kind of, you know, and I even noticed that at that time that, oh, well, how come this person's not there? And so I really had a love for that. And then when I got to, um, to college at Western and I had my first African-American professor, teacher, educator in my whole experience. Uh, she was a government professor and I knew that political science was where I wanted to be, but I, and I knew that journalism somehow. And she said, well, why don't you just put them together? And she became a great mentor to me, Dr. Sandra Audrey, and really helped kind of shape um, my approach, maybe not my thinking, but my approach to how I could really meld these two passions. And so I've always been interested in, in public affairs and news. And I was an only child growing up and um, I was surrounded by adults. You know, uncles would come over, they had all served in the military. And so we talked about, you know, Iran Contra. We talked, they always, they, I had opinions about all these world events and I didn't want to leave the room. So, I, you know, because I was nosy more than anything. And so I would stay and listen to them. And I thought, wow, you know, this is so interesting. How can, what can I do? And so over time, as you know, you just like, okay, here's my, my role. Here's my space. And at KET, I've been able to carve this unique role where I can do this work that I set out at age five, not having a clear eyed view of what it would look like of doing. And I, I feel very blessed to have had the opportunity to be there for all these years, almost a quarter of a century, which is hard to believe. And, um, but, you know, I really, I love policy. I mean, I on the weekends, I'll sit down with a bill and read a 300 page budget bill, you know? I mean, I always feel, I don't read every single bill because there, there's not enough time, but I do feel the obligation to really do my homework. Mm -hmm. And really make sure that when somebody's sitting at the table with me, I know as much about that topic or I know enough to ask them, right? Um, and I feel like, especially for an hour long program, you know, that preparation is key. I don't pretend to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I will, I will work at it. I will keep working until I understand it. And I remember um, Tori Murden McClure, who is the president of Spalding University, who'd written a book about Road Across the Atlantic. And I'd interviewed her a couple of times. And she had told me, you know, she's a Harvard grad and all this. She has so many accolades. But she had told me, she said, there are people who I graduated with at Harvard who didn't quite rise up to their potential. They could have done tremendous things. But she said, you know what stopped them? Is they stopped doing their homework. They rested on their laurels, thought, I've got a degree from Harvard. Why well, have to work so hard? I've already worked hard. You know, got to keep pushing. 
And, and I think that that's been my goal. You know, I came from a state college. I came from a working class background, but yet this is what, you know, I've been able to accomplish. And it's all because of one grace of God and the other is a work ethic to match it. Mm. That um, if you want it, you got to work for it. And you know that so oh. well, Amber. Well, I am, I'm so embarrassed that you and I have never sat down and talked because <laughs> you were like my spirit animal. I had no idea you're an only child. I'm an only child. Oh. And, and our, our path is very similar. I grew up in a home where, you know, I was always in the conversation. My dad was a voracious reader of the newspaper. So the newspaper was there. The television was always on the news. And then, you know, I had a seventh grade social studies teacher who made us write current events every day. And that, you know, I was already curious enough. I already loved the news. And that really sparked me into this love of just current events and then realizing what news is. So I'm, I, I hate that we're just now discovering I know. about each other. Also, you know, I'm, I'm right there with you. And I think a lot of people don't realize this about us. You know, you work in, you know, an hour long uh, programs or, or longer, you know, your coverage of election or legislative coverage, you know, we work in half hour segments, but you know, many times we don't know what's going to happen in that half hour. And right. so being prepared, I agree. You know, I don't think people realize sometimes the preparation that goes into the things that we do for election. You know, I'm not good. I don't love public policy like you do, but I want to be able to know enough that mm -hmm. I can talk about things. And so I will start weeks, months in advance. And I don't think people know that about us, that we really do sit down and sometimes your life is not your life and you are cooped in your office studying like you were in college again. And I agree with you, you know, I may not be the sharpest tool in that shed, but I'm going to be the most prepared and nobody's going to outwork me that way. So I appreciate that. I think I built my career on that, you know, just working hard and seeing where it takes you. Um, That's right. The hours and doing and putting it in when you, you don't know what's going to be the outcome of it, but yeah. So um, I love to tell stories. You tell stories in a different way. Renee, talk to me about some of those moments that you've had where for you, you're like, I can't believe I'm sitting on the other side talking to this person. Have you had some of those where you're like, wow. I, I have. And I think it would surprise people to know that they're not always big celebrities. Mm -hmm. Like I've talked to, you know, um, Dominique Wilkins and, and folks, you know, but I'm one, I'm not a huge sports fan. Um, so that, you know, but the other thing too is, is I revel in people who are just doing great things who are the prophets in our backyard. And I will say, and I just had this conversation with someone last night that I, I'm a, a, was, am still a tremendous fan of the late Georgia Davis Powers, who was the first African-American woman elected to the state Senate. And when I first moved to Kentucky and uh, there were a few of those who had state government ties who reached out to me. Joan Taylor, who was also now deceased, who worked in Governor Patton's administration and others who really reached out to me. There was a village of them who said, hey, you know, here's kind of how this stuff works. And um, and I and, and George Davis Powers was that for me. And, um, and so when every time I got a chance to sit with her, one, she was brutally honest. She was a spitfire. I mean, she dolled herself up, didn't matter what time of day. I mean, I remember I would go to her apartment like at 930 down on 4th Street in Louisville, and she'd have on this beautiful silk robe and eyebrows arched. And I mean, especially if she knew I was bringing an attractive man with me, right? And so, uh, and she was just wonderful. I mean, and the stories which she would tell about just people that I had heard about and read about 
to me, I get just as much joy in that. Or, you know, we did a youth mental health series and I fell in love with some of these kids who we had interviewed about 25 kids, spent a couple of days with them at the Fraser History Museum and focus groups and hearing their stories of, of their hurt and how some of them had self-harmed, mm. had suicide ideation, but who were in not but and or brilliant, bright kids with tremendous futures. And to hear them just be judgment day honest, as we say back home, with their pain, you know, mm. and you know, struggles with other challenges like autism. I, I mean, I am blown away, Amber, by the regular everyday person who just pushes. Yeah. who just perseveres, who said, despite everything, I'm going to keep doing it. And, and that doesn't have to be somebody with a seven, eight figure bank account. Um, it, it can be for me, just the average person that says, you know, I'm here and um, people may not notice it, but I'm still going to do the best, you know, for my, for myself and for my family. And those are the stories I quite honestly love to tell. And it kind of goes back to right what you said, like, I see you, everyone yeah. has a story and it doesn't have to be this grand story. Sometimes for me, it's that moment where it's the most normal thing that yeah. you have maybe, I don't know, gone and done. And then I, and I'm just sitting there in all, just like I would be if I were sitting talking to a celebrity. I mean, it's just yeah. a small moment sometimes. Um, that is a great segue into I'm fascinated by this new show that's going to be out. I don't maybe call it show. I'll call it program. Kentucky Histor Historical Society's put out Kentucky Ancestors Town Hall. And I love the tagline. Every family has at least one um, mystery, an intriguing person, a possible connection, or someone famous or maybe infamous. That's right. Family. This is so cool. So what? It, how did this even come about? And what is it going to be like for people to see? Well, and the interesting thing is it's not on KET, right. it's on several other affiliates uh, across the state and the Historical Society, which a long time ago I was a board member of and, and love the Historical Society. In many ways we have goals in tandem, right? We do kind of similar things, just we have the, the, uh, the tele television platform that they have mostly in archives and et cetera, but they have tremendous uh, wealth of information and knowledge. And so several years ago, they had talked about this genealogy project, but they've always done genealogy. But how do you kind of in the likeness that we see on national shows, you know, bringing that to life, finding your roots, you know, you have this mysterious person in your background that your great grandmother and her cousin twice removed said you were related to, but nobody has any proof. And so the Historical Society, you know, asked people to submit uh, their inquiries and as much or as little information as they have about them. And then the Historical Society picks a few and digs up. I mean, they do all the legwork. I, I can't give enough kudos to uh, Louise and Greg and Cheryl and, and Stuart. I mean, they are tremendous historians is what they are. And so um, a couple of years ago, I, this might have been my third year doing it, but um, we go, you know, we use a, a part of the History Center. There's a full-blown television production. You have an audience. Now, I have to also say this disclaimer. This was recorded pre-COVID. Sure. We recorded this October of 2019, I believe. So it's taken it a while to get it on these platforms. But um, the stories that you're going to hear, and I sometimes confuse the years, but it usually involves a civil war 
uh, hero or villain. Mm -hmm. And there's usually uh, money and other things involved, sometimes sordid details, sometimes it's a love story. Um, and, and the person, so once we get them on the stage, they don't know, it is a big reveal. Oh, so wow. we kind of take them with all these visual aids that these historians have unpacked and we show it to them. And literally when I tell them, this is what it is, that's the first time they know. And um, we've had some enormous surprises and it's been a great deal of fun to work on these. And, and really, you know, Amber, this is the one time that I kind of get to come in and just be the talent. Yeah. You know, I'm not producing a thing. I didn't research a thing. I didn't write a thing. I mean, I'm really just, I'm just carrying the water for the historical society that's worked so hard to do all of this. And I kind of feel ashamed that, you know, people are giving me so much credit. It was like, no, they did all the work, um, but it's really fun and I enjoy I enjoy doing it and I hope people will enjoy watching it. Well, I'm going to tell people, I know that this will go out and, and people will be listening at all times, but if you are listening as we're recording this, February 20th, it looks like um, it's going to be the first date that I have that'll be out. And then um, and it looks like it goes all the way from February to June of this year. So people can check it out um, a lot of different uh, places, but you can go to history.ky gov to find out where you can watch it man what a gem kentucky educational television is you know um i often joke and tell people that also one of the reasons that i was inspired to do what i'm doing is when i was young i wanted to be the news quiz lady and i still <laughs> if i don't do television news and there's a place for me i want to be the news quiz lady and yeah. so it's, it's just a gem of what it provides and and i hope that you know people don't always i think appreciate that we have uh, KET right here in Lexington in our backyard and for all of the things that it provides. Well, thank you for saying that, Amber. And, you know, I always say when we're making our pitch uh, pitches during our fund drives, we're not just a TV station. You know, there's a great deal. I do some educational programs that may not get on our air, but work in a professional development capacity. And even some of our programs have that, you know, relatability to be used in the classroom. So, and there, there are not very many other states who have a KET. You mm -hmm. know, we're one of the few still standing. And so I feel very blessed. You know, I, I call it Lynn Press. Press's KET. I got. I, I was fortunate enough to know Mr. Press. I, I didn't work with him, but he was an enormous cheerleader of mine. And I know, and part of, of how I've been able to progress is because he constantly was pushing me, pushing me, and applauding me and supporting me. And he believed in access to education, to cultural affairs, to public policy information. And and I hope that I can carry on that legacy. And it's my privilege to be in a position to do so. You know, I checked the clock, two gals that love to talk. Of course, we've already gone over our time limit of what I said we were going to do. Um, Renee, before I let you go, one of the reasons why I started this is that I just love talking to people and I named it Uniquely Kentucky because I wanted to talk to the people who I think make Kentucky so unique. So Renee, you've been here, you've chosen to make this home. What to you makes Kentucky so unique? The people. I mean, hands down, I mean, we can talk about, you know, Derby and Keeneland and all those attractions, but really what keeps me here are the relationships. And I think if ever a time when we've realized that all the other things can fall to the wayside, but the people in our life matter the most and the people that we get to meet as journalists, the stories we get to tell, that's uniquely Kentucky. Mm -hmm. 
Renee, how do people keep up with you if they want to, uh, you know, find out about um, the programs that you host or just sure. what you're doing in the community? I know that you do a lot of public speaking engagements and you do a lot of things. So how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to find you? They can find me on Twitter at Renee K-E-T. I'm on Instagram, but I am so, I'm such an epic failure at that. I mean, it's like, I can't remember to do all that and Hootsuite and all that. I'm still trying to learn. Uh, Facebook, I'm on. I might be a capacity there, but on Twitter, you know, um, I don't reveal a lot of personal things. I try to keep it. Um, pretty professional, but I do love hearing from people if they have ideas and you know people are always in need and and sometimes you don't do a show out of their need, you know, you just say well here's a resource here who I can refer you to. And I, I like to receive those things and respond so you don't have to have a show idea you can just reach out and say hi, and um, if you have a suggestion I'd be glad to receive it. Well, I think Renee, after COVID and once we can get together, we're going to come and we're going to sit down and we're going to meet in person and do yes. a little bit more talking. How about that? Yes. And I think I should have you on my show. Well, so, I would love it. So I would um, be so let's, Yeah, let's do that for sure. Renee, thank you, everyone, thank you for making Kentucky, you know, informing Kentucky, also making Kentucky a better place because you do bring um, a lot of issues to the table and you certainly do try to sort them out. I'm sure you've got a bill to get to read somewhere. So I'm going to let you know, but I appreciate your time, Renee. Thank you, Amber. And thank you for the work you do. And Bill Bryant, who we share on Fridays. Uh, I just thank oh, Sam Dick, you all of you all. I'm, I'm blessed to call you colleagues and so proud of the work you all do right back at you.